1: Michelle Byram was abused by her husband, Edward, for years. Then one day, it seemed like it was all over. Michelle's son killed Edward, but then Michelle took the blame for it. And then she was sentenced to death. Michelle Byram's story isn't a Netflix or HBO series. There are no Reddit pages devoted to unpacking what went wrong in her case. But it's a story that needs to be told, and not because it highlights the problems with the criminal justice system. The jinx, serial, and making a murderer have done that. Michelle's story is important because it highlights the struggles of women, particularly abused women and the bias baked into a system that's supposed to protect them. From Refinery29, this is Strong Opinions Loosely Held. I'm Elisa Kreisinger, and on today's show, the worst place to be a woman. Refinery29's feature editor, Vanessa Golombeski, got to talk to Michelle about her case.
0: Even though I had seen pictures of her, you know, her mugshot and everything, seeing her in person was always, you know, it's always an odd feeling. She's very optimistic, very friendly, always finding the silver lining in things. I mean... If you could give one piece of advice to yourself, let's say, 20 years ago, what would it be? Watch what you wish for. Watch what you say.
2: I wish... That I were out of the situation I were in,
0: (laughs) and it came through. It's just not the way I intended it to happen. Mm -hmm. It's obviously such a difficult memories for you, but you seem to be able to, like, laugh along with them now. Well, you know, it's either laugh or cry, and
2: I don't like to cry in front of people, so you know.
0: Michelle's. Nature is just being a protective being. As a child, she really shouldered, it sounds like, all of the abuse um, so that her siblings didn't have to. And then when she married Edward, she would often get the brunt of the abuse. Um, When her son killed him, she—the circumstances around Michelle's arrest are a bit troubling, but basically— She was in the hospital being treated for pneumonia. She was under heavy sedation from medication. The sheriff questioned her in the hospital while she was like that.
2: The sheriff, David Smith, that man, and he told me, he looked at me and he said, if I get you, I'm guaranteed 10 more years in office.
0: And all she heard was, your son's going to jail for life. Don't leave him hanging out here on a limb. And she, her response was just, take me away. I'll take the blame. So when you went to prison, you didn't have anything with you? You just...
2: Um... I didn't even have the clothes on my
0: back. <laughs> Did they bring you there in, like, a hospital gown? Don't those, like, not close all the way?
2: Right. So I had one on the front and one on the back. <laughs> that was it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's one thing to me that was really upsetting. And then there's also the lack of evidence that was admitted at trial. I mean, not only did her son confess privately to a court-ordered psychiatrist, he also had a written confession, which was shared with the judge but not admitted at trial. Um, So the jury didn't see the confession that the son made. Correct. Um, And there was also Michelle's court-ordered psychiatric assessment. I mean, they asked... Uh, a forensic psychologist to assess her, and then asked, and then said to him, "Actually, we don't need you to testify." So, those things alone, I mean, are kind of insane. The the lack of evidence admitted, the questionable paperwork surrounding her arrest in the first place, and questioning of her, um, and the the psychiatrist who was court appointed was not called to testify. I mean, that wasn't a decision
1: from. From Michelle, you know, so there was really no one there on her behalf to speak up for her.
0: No, and then, I mean, something that um, former supreme, former Mississippi Supreme Court Justice Oliver Diaz, he spoke with me for the story, and he was on the su- Supreme Court at the time of Michelle's case. Um, but something he said to me was, "The law representation she had was completely substandard." I mean, this. Her defense team, her initial defense team at that trial, there was a jury there. By the way, she knew two jury members. She knew them, one from Sunday school, and one was her son's friend. They were allowed to be on the jury. Was there a moment where you were allowed to say, I know that person, I know that person? Were you allowed? I did. And then what happened? Nothing happened.
2: It's just like when the confession was made to the psychiatrist, the state psychiatrist. From your son? Yes. And the judge told the psychiatrist to keep his mouth shut. And when the state psychiatrist made the statement to the prosecutor and the prosecutor went to the judge and the judge told the prosecutor to keep his mouth shut. And when the judge told everybody else to keep their mouth
0: shut. Her defense team opted to bypass a jury and go straight to the judge for a decision, which I guess is something you can do in Mississippi. Um, And what's problematic about that is... There certainly wasn't enough evidence against her for whatever they were trying to do, and I, I think a jury would have not been able to convict her, likely not. Um, but also, this particular judge had a reputation of sending people to death sentence, you know? So why would you choose to do that? At what point in your trial did you learn that you— how far along was it when you learned that you would um, be on death row? The very last part of it when he said—
2: I sentenced you to death, lethal injection. I would have been the first woman executed since World War II in the state of Mississippi.
0: Does Mississippi have a problem with acknowledging domestic violence?
2: Yes, I yeah, do. do feel, yeah. And I feel Judge Garner has a big problem with it. I think he has a big problem with females, period. And I don't know if he's married or not, if he is, I feel sorry for his wife. good times in prison for you? No, no. There were, you know, there were times, of course, you know, you you laugh and things like that, you know, things like that, but no.
1: She's on death row for 15 years, and hours before she's scheduled to be executed, Something happens. What happened?
0: It was about 24 hours before she was supposed to die. And
2: I was in the shower and I came out of the shower and the other girl on death row, she's right next door to me. And she said, Shell, you're on the news. She said, you're not going to (laughs) die. And about five minutes later, here comes a lot of library people. Come with the papers.
0: Now, as much of, of a joyful moment that is where, yes, she wasn't going to die, what it really meant was she was being transferred to a county jail. So she was back into Chaminga County in a jail there awaiting a new trial, which never happened. I mean, every trial that she was given, it, it was just postponed, postponed, postponed. And then one day they said to her, OK, well, if you sign this plea deal, you can go home today. You can walk out of here right now. Your brother's here. You can send you home. So she signed it. She had no idea what it was. All she heard was, I can go home today after 15 years, and my brother's here to take me home. So she did. And then after she got out of prison, she realized what a plea deal was, which basically means you have a felony record your whole life, and you can't you know, sue the state you're not entitled to anything from the state. You kind of, it's almost like forgiving them of everything that they did to you. And so now she's in a really tough spot because she's not going to find work. And she's not very well. She has lupus. She's mostly wheelchair-bound. I don't think that she should be expected to find work. (laughs)
1: She can't sue the state for wrongful conviction. No, when you sign a,
0: a, a plea, you're basically saying like, I'm not saying I'm guilty, but we're cutting a deal so I can go home, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And she said to, she said to me, if I would have known, I would have waited because they would have had to give me a new trial or let me go. But I, I she said, I, you know, I, it, I was caught up in the moment and I took it.
2: So we were all going to celebrate. And my brother, no, we're getting you out of Mississippi. He said, I'm not taking a chance that they're going to decide they want to keep you here for some other reason. We're getting out of Mississippi. Boy, it's star. So that's exactly what we did. We just hopped in the car, and he said, where do you want to go to eat? And I said, I want to go to Burger King. <laughs> and I said, well, I said, I don't remember what sex is. I said, but i tell you what. If it's anything like this Whopper, I said, this is the best thing I've ever had.
0: What's important to remember about Michelle is that she's had a lifetime of abuse. It wasn't just this marriage. It was her entire childhood.
2: My my whole life has been one hell of a story. At 14, I became an exotic dancer, being brought up and raised in...
0: Molested,
2: beaten, and and here I am today.
0: And you know, with Edward, uh, her husband, her late husband.
2: No, my husband was thirty-two, and I was seventeen. So you know, Uh, back then I was looking for a father figure, I believe, because I didn't know my father.
0: The abuse was pretty insane. I mean, he was. Force-feeding her rat poison because he thought she was having an affair with the exterminator.
2: A block of it. Chased it with 151 proof rum. What does rat poison
0: taste like? Tasteless. Beating her up, uh, forcing her to have sex with other men, and he would videotape it for himself, and he'd keep all the videotapes at home. Um... And then there's also just the emotional and mental abuse, you know, making her feel like she didn't deserve any better than the situation she was in.
2: It hurts. It hurts to the point where we get to where we start believing in what they tell us, that we are nothing and we will continue to be nothing and that nobody else will want us. And that we are better off where we are. We're safer where we are. And there's nothing we can do. And there's no place we can go. And there's not a damn thing we can do about it. That's all we believe. That's all there's left for us to believe. Because we keep trying and trying and trying. And we get to the point where we're beaten down so many times that there's nothing left for us to do. And nobody listens. Nobody listens. I've been to the doctor so many times. The doctor's, well, you can get out of it. Walk out of it. Get out of it. It's not that easy.
1: Because in the article you write, there aren't many options for women, specifically in Mississippi, if you are Mm -hmm. a victim of domestic violence. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah. So, um... So for Michelle, she was living in uh, Ayuka, Mississippi, which is in Tishomingo County. Tishomingo County does not have a shelter for domestic violence or for women at all. The closest shelter is actually in the neighboring county, Tapelo county, county. It's an hour's drive away, note if there's no traffic. And that was the case for her in 1999. Today, it is still the only shelter. Within an hour's drive, there's no new shelter or no new new resource available for anyone living like Michelle was. If you look at, just to put it into perspective, just to illustrate how dire it is for someone like Michelle, Vermont, which is a smaller state with a population of about 600,000, they have 12 domestic violence shelters throughout the state. Mississippi has a population of almost 3 million, and they only have 13 shelters. In terms of Mississippi itself, it's a pretty notoriously awful place if you're an abused woman or any woman at all. There's a 2012 study that was based on data from the National Women's Law Center. They actually named Mississippi the worst state for women to live. 22% of women at the time were living below the poverty line. Only 21% were college educated. Mississippi is one of four states that has never had a woman in Congress or as governor. Um, The state legislature is 15% female. And not only do they have the highest one of the highest rates of teen pregnancy, but only one abortion clinic whose fate is, you know, kind of bleak in but the entire state, in the entire one state. abortion clinic. Mm-hmm. But also a, a 2014 report on violence named Mississippi the fifth state in the country where the most women are murdered by men. So what's what's important to know in Mississippi is that it's a culture ingrained in, you know, a lack of respect for women lack of resources for women, aggression towards women, and when it comes down to it.
2: I left several times.
0: What happened?
2: And he always found me. And when he found me, the beatings, Mm. and when the beat downs came, they were bad. He made sure I didn't have money. He made sure I kept away from my family, hundreds of miles. I don't really know what else I could have done. I mean, anywhere I would have went, he would have found me. And he would hurt anybody that tried to help me, so I know that.
0: I mean, if you think about it, there were really no women involved in her case in the first place. Um, her judge was a man, her lawyers were all men. And really, what the state of Mississippi said, as one of the major prongs of their um, their argument against her, is, well, if your husband was so abusive, why didn't you just leave? So it's so obvious that the system does not have enough female voice in it because if it did they would have never said that as a reason and no judge would have said that was a valid argument you know like it just shows that there's a lack of conversation about what women really experience and what that can really be like Mm -hmm.
1: How does Michelle's case make you feel about the justice system today? It makes me nervous because
0: I think that the justice system is obviously intertwined with our legal system. And by legal system, I mean rules that uh, our government has in place that don't particularly cover shades of gray. For example, for Michelle... She would tell her doctors, you know, she was often in the doctor's office or in the hospital as a result of her abuse. She would tell them, you know, I'm being abused at home. I'm being, this is why I'm here. But doctors aren't mandated reporters in Mississippi, you know, by law. So they couldn't really do anything for her. And I, I keep thinking about that and I keep thinking if I were Michelle and the only person I could, I could speak to about this, was this doctor. The only time I'm ever alone with anyone in a room that isn't my husband is this doctor. And they just can't help me because it's a, it's a law that they can't talk about it. Like, that's insane to me. And also, it should never take this long to, to get someone a new trial or to fix an error. I mean, she lost years of her life waiting around for paperwork or for judges to to get off their ass and do something. That's just crazy to me.
1: And so did her son ever take the blame and go to jail for the murder? That's Yeah, and
0: that's what's even crazier. He served the time for the murder, and he got out of prison before Michelle did. I mean, if that's not gender bias, I don't know what is. What effect did this case
1: have on you as a writer, as a journalist?
0: I think that in the online space, we're so often given these like non-story stories, like, you know, that they're entertaining, they're fun. Like, oh, here's a cat with two legs and it just got adopted. Like, that's great. But um, I think we also have to remember that we have a, a huge platform to tell women stories who otherwise don't have a voice. So it has me thinking more about finding other women like Michelle who maybe need, like, a larger stage or any stage at all.
2: Somebody has got to listen. Somebody has got to be out there to to help people in this situation. Because I'm not the only one, and I know there's women out there in the same situation.
1: Vanessa had strong opinions on the justice system and how it affects women, and now I want to hear yours. Tweet me at Pirate with your opinions, and make sure to use the hashtag S-O-L-H. That stands for Strong Opinions Loosely Held. Our show today was produced by me, Elisa Kreisinger, with help from Catherine Ann Connolly for Refinery29. It was edited by Caitlin Pierce, and we recorded with Paul Ruest. Please subscribe to Strong Opinions Loosely Held on iTunes and rate us while you're there. You can find an interview with me about this episode along with other episodes and stuff that we left on the cutting room floor at Refinery29.com. See you back here next Monday.